welcome to another episode of Reptile Fight Club. Um, I'm Justin Julander, your host, and with me as always is Mr. Chuck Olin. How you doing? I think uh, I'm doing all right, man. I, it was a, a little bit of a long day today, so trying to uh, recover, but uh, I had to do some fun little mouse surgeries today, so that was... Oh, wow. I haven't done you. those for a while, so it was like riding a bike, I guess. I got, you know... Yeah came back as I started doing it, but, uh, I'm glad we had a practice run before we did the, uh, so this was a toxicity study before we did the actual antiviral study. So that was who was the mouse who got the practice run? Well, no, I mean, like it was, it was a small study to look at the tolerability of the drug delivered oh. by an implanted pump. So yeah, that makes way more sense. Good times. Good times. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> How about That's you? Cool. What's going on with you, man? Yeah, same work was crazy. My uh, my boss uh, is going out of town. He is heading to Hawaii with his uh, soon to be fiance. So um, yeah, so that's super cool. Glad for him. But uh, yeah, I have I'm I'm having to brief like the production director and all this stuff. So it's a, like it's it's a big to do and you know it's always a calamity where i work so having to be responsible for the calamity at at you know to the production director is a pain but you know whatever good times yeah. <laughs> right on right on yep well we've got some uh, special guests today so we'll uh we'll kind of skip a lot of the upfront chatter and uh, get them on here so you mean uh, i don't have to lose a coin toss today that's well, awesome yeah that's that's probably good news that's for awesome you, man. Yeah, yeah it is no it is <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh dom and kendra why don't you uh introduce yourselves i'll go first because alphabetically i'm first um <laughs> hey guys i'm dominique defalco of defalco reptiles uh I'm so incredibly nervous. I don't know why, um, but I'm very excited. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, we're happy to have you here. So, uh, what kind of what kind of space do you occupy in the reptile industry? Um, well, as far as what I keep, I keep a lot of Morelia. I do keep some ball pythons and then some different crested geckos. Um, but the big thing that I do in the reptile hobby is I'm really passionate about getting more women involved and connecting women who are already in the hobby. So that's kind of my little niche that I fill. And then, you know, the animals are there too. That's awesome. That's yeah, really that cool. is awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, we, we were talking a little bit about that because you know, we, we were <laughs> at the Anaheim show, we were going up to people and ask them if they wanted to be at the, on the podcast. And I, I don't know if it's because we're a couple, you know, 40 somethings walking around asking these younger girls to be on a podcast and they kind of like get away from me. Creepers. Get away so, creepers. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, we couldn't get many uh, women to be on the podcast, but yeah. we're very happy to have you two here today. So yeah. thank you. Thanks. Yeah. We're, we're happy to be here. Kendra and I were both excited, nervous, oh. but excited. <laughs> Definitely yeah, I don't nervous. know why you're nervous. I, no, yeah, don't be our, nervous. No our way. two listeners will, will, yeah. will be very happy to hear you guys. Listen, if I haven't chased them off by now, you're good. <laughs> you're good. That's reassuring, so thank you. That's two uh, more listeners than I have, though. So, <laughs> Well, my daughters are listeners, so that's the two people, actually. So, All yeah, right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> My my daughter's very jealous. She wants to be the co-host, so she keeps telling me to ditch Chuck and let her be on it. And she's 
She's a very enthusiastic 12 year old. <laughs> I thought your kids liked me. Oh, they love you, but uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> not if you're in their way to be in a co host. Apparently on not. Oh <laughs> she's, my she's welcome to come on my show whenever. I'd All love right. to interview a kid. I think that'd oh, be yeah. fun. I got to oh, get signed parental yeah. consent, though. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I curse a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be a little shocking to her. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Kendra, how yeah. about you? Welcome. Yeah. Uh, so Kendra Westy of Puget Sound Pythons. Um, my place, I guess, in the in herpticultures, I'm a keeper and breeder. Um, this is a kind of a joint project or joint business uh, venture with my fiance, Jeff. Um, um, we both do this. Uh, we keep a lot of different species. Um, I, I can't really label all of them. I don't think we have enough time. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you know, I think we're I think we're most known for for our Liasis collection. We have you know we have the Duns, which is not something a lot of people have. Uh, we have uh, now a 1.2 group of Apidora. Um, uh, we just got our second female in today, so there should be a video out on our YouTube. Channel. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. um, yeah, we kind of we kind of dip our toes in in a little bit of everything, mostly pythons. We have a couple boyids, and um, we have uh, a Gila, and some other like we have a couple of boy again things like that but yeah we just we keep a lot of things that are kind of uncommonly kept we obviously do have all pythons too because that's definitely a uh, a good seller um but yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a fun time we it's because it's the two of us it, it works out really well that we're able to keep a lot of species so that would be kind of dangerous, though, I would think, if you're both into it and excited. Oh, it is. Like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, it can be. Yeah. I know my wife is like, uh, are you sure you can afford that? Are you sure you need another animal? Like, uh, so it's, you know, kind of a good balance that way. I, mm. I don't know if she was really into it. Like, yeah, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I mean, that could be really dangerous. You're in trouble. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's the, that's the kind of the nice thing about it is because, like, we both have our own interests. It's like we can kind of keep each other. Uh, keep each other in balance when it comes to like mm -hmm. those sorts of things um except for if it's like a surprise we want to surprise the other person with something like hey uh, you have a yeah. you have a box of fedex <laughs> coming today you should check that out <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes it nice yeah. yeah i can honestly yeah i can honestly say i've never gotten a a, a gift of of reptiles from my spouse so that's, <laughs> uh, might, that, that's pretty cool that sounds pretty cool to me yeah, my, my yeah. wedding present was a Nile monitor. My my wife thought it, it looked it looked kind of <laughs> like a like a parenti, so he'd love that, you know. So she yeah. got me a Nile monitor. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the thought that counts, Justin. It is, yeah, it, and yeah, that was a very nice thought. Yeah, <laughs> and and I had it for quite a while. It was a it was not a very happy little monitor. Yeah, no, <laughs> they generally are quite, not. Yeah. That, and it's it's great that they sell them for you know fifty bucks at the yeah. reptile stores, right? What a great pet! <laughs> so, all righty. Well, are you guys ready to fight? I'm yeah. always ready to fight, Kendra. So, so our topic tonight is: uh, Do ball pythons make a good first pet snake? I think this is a really good uh, topic for, for debate. So I'm curious to hear what, what you got here, guys, and what kind of arguments we're going to hear. So yeah. um, as as is tradition on the Reptile Fight Club, we're going to flip a coin. So um, let's see. Who, who do we have call the coin toss? Who wants Kendra to call Kendra can it? do it. That's a wedding present. 
Don't chuck this coin toss, yeah. Kendra. <laughs> it's actually tails, so you win oh. the coin toss. That means you get to pick your side. <laughs> wow, so I did the opposite of what Chuck did last time, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, you did. No, you did. You That's won. That's a good way to win. Yeah, yeah, it is. Think of what Chuck would do and do the opposite. <laughs> Ooh, well, I'm sorry, Don. I'm going to go with the with the pros on this one. Okay. So they will, <laughs> so Thank they God. <laughs> All right, so Kendra will be defending the side that ball pythons do make a good first pet, and we'll yeah. have Dom go the negative side. They do not make a good first pet. All right. So since you won the coin toss, Kendra, you get to either defer and let Dom go first, or you can go first. Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to let Dom go first. I want to hear all her right. arguments. That's a good strategy. That's the one we uh, usually adopt. So, all right, Dom, the floor is yours. Let's hear what you got. All right. You make kind of an opening statement or kind of, you know, get the ball rolling and then we'll let Kendra kind of uh, have time to rebut that. Cool. Okay. So uh, I'll just start that. If you don't know who I am, um, my start in the reptile hobby was actually just a few years ago. I'm relatively new. I'm, I'm open about that. And I got my start in actually uh, reptile rescue. So I've been working for a reptile rescue for the last few years. And for the last two years, mm. I've been our intake and adoption coordinator. So I've kind of, you know, gone between the two. And if there are two things that are the most common coming into our rescue, First is bearded dragons. Second mm -hmm. is ball pythons, usually yeah. normal ball pythons. And I think that that is very indicative of impulse purchases, bad husbandry, and things that lead a lot of people to giving up their pets. I think it's important that I like throw in right now that I obviously keep ball pythons. I totally appreciate their place in the hobby and that they do introduce a lot of people into the hobby. But as a, a greater hobby as a whole, and as people who are as into herpeticulture as we are, I think it's important that we educate people that this isn't necessarily the best pet for everyone. And you can just look at the shelters and the vet offices and the pet stores that are taking in unwanted animals every single day to tell you that. So I'll pass it over to Kendra if you want to give your first statement. All right. <laughs> Kendra, what you got? All right. Well, thank you for that. I can kind of roll into that a uh, whole adopt not shop uh, motion. Um, <laughs> with that being said, there are a lot of animals that may need homes. Um, I think with ball pythons in particular, to your point, uh, you know they they do. There's a lot of people who have them, um, and secondarily, that because there's a lot of people who have them, that means that there's a lot of knowledge out there. So even if you know if somebody does impulse buy, there is there are resources available to them. You know, social media. We have a lot of forums. There's online sites. You know, much more than there was 30, 40 years ago. Um, so yeah, I think you know, yes, there there is a lot of them, but I think that because of that, there's a lot of knowledge out there. There's a lot of people who are keeping them. Um, and so I think that's why they, they do make good first pets, but even if, if it's something that, you know, you're not necessarily, you know, a lot about there's resources to help educate you in that. All right. So I'm going to so, counter that. Can I counter that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think one of the no, biggest no problems. Punches, uh, <laughs> don't hold any punches back. Right. I also don't want everyone to think I'm negative. I'm just passionate. No. Okay. Yeah. Um. No, you got to defend a side. It's not about, you know, no one's going to think that you do what yeah, you got to do, girl. No, everyone loves you. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you. Good. 
Okay. So <laughs> I think one of the biggest things that you said is that there is a lot of knowledge out there and there's a lot of people who keep them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a lot of good information or good keepers. I think to look at the average person who has a ball python compared to the collective whole of the hobby, taking in people who are working with more difficult species, people have been doing it for 20,000 years, all of these like people, people on this call who know their shit and know it better than a lot of other people out there to assume that the average keeper of a ball Python knows what they're doing is just inaccurate. And then also looking at that, there is a lot of information out there, but it's gate kept by a lot of arrogance, a lot of uh, drama that happens within the ball Python community. And then also the information varies from source to source. Some people are saying that tubs are the way to go because they're great for, for humidity and it makes them feel secure. Other people are going to argue that you need a four foot by two foot by two foot enclosure. And for the average person getting into it and trying to sort through all that information, it's incredibly confusing and can lead to a lot of doubt within their own keeping right off the bat while starting. So it kind of as a follow-up to that, Dom, if you could maybe identify a couple uh, things where where maybe husbandry might be improved for anybody listening that might be wondering if their care for a ball python is is reasonable. Yeah, maybe. I think that's – sorry. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, so I think it – you know, a good thing is that there is a lot of ways to keep ball pythons. Um, but I think mm -hmm. with any animal you take in, whether it's your first or your 50th, you have to recognize that the animal that you have is different than any other animal in your collection. You cannot treat everything the same way. So you may have to adjust your keeping to adjust to the animal you have. So for me personally, I keep my ball pythons in a rack system because I think it's convenient. It holds humidity really well, which I struggle with in my animal room. But I also use 42 quart racks for any size animal until they get too big for it. So I'm putting hatchlings in there. And then I'm also putting, you know, sub-adults, adult males, all of that into the same size tubs. Um, but I've recognized with some of the animals that I have that they didn't do really well. So I moved them back down to a 16 quart and they started eating right off the bat. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the biggest things getting into ball pythons and getting into the hobby in general too, was finding a couple people who align with your perspective in general in keeping and troubleshoot with those who may have a better understanding of your particular animal or the species that you're working with. So talks to a good breeder, go through a good breeder. And if you didn't buy through a good breeder, say you did make a Craigslist purchase or a pet store purchase, reach out to someone who's been doing it longer than you and pick their brain. Join a couple of Facebook groups, see where you kind of fall into that. And then you can find people who are doing it successfully like that. Yeah. It seems like, like local uh, people local to you are more apt to help and have probably better information because they have similar, you know, environmental conditions to yourself. So yeah, yeah that's great advice. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Kendra, did you have anything to, to respond in that regard? Um, no, I, I absolutely agree with Dom there, um, you know, because they are so, I, I don't want to say versatile, but they, they can be, you know, they kept in a variety of environments, if you will, you know, trams, enclosures, rack systems. It, it's to your point, you have to know your animals, you have to know what your limits are, you have to understand the animals and, and everything that, that you're putting into them. Um, but with that being said, you know, they, they're, they are a very hardy species comparative to others, right? Um, and so I think that's why it does, it, it's helpful if you are learning, um, you can, you know, kind of do your checks and balances and try different things with this species versus maybe something that's a little more mm, temperamental. <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess so in they're, what they're, way... they're kind of more forgiving is what you're yeah yeah they can be at. definitely you know not to the extreme like you know sure you know um but you know if you don't for example, for like if you comparative to like a white lip, if you don't leave out water or have fresh water for it available 24 seven, you know, that animal is not going to die right away versus a white lip. If you don't have water for it, you know, for a day, it's, you know, it might, you know, start to start to wither away. Um, and I think that's, you know, to that, it, it makes it helpful for people who are getting into the hobby who are new at keeping reptiles, um, especially snakes in particular, it's, it's helpful for an animal to be a little more forgiving because you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn, you know, and yeah. hopefully you don't have to learn the hard way with the animal dead at the end of the day, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I think I'd be in trouble with uh, the pod father if I didn't put out the, you know, student of the serpent con concept, you know, if you pay attention to your animals, you're going to do better with those. And that's, I think that's what you guys are both uh, on the same page there uh, with that. Yeah. All right. Well, back to you. Don. I'm going to argue kind of something you said, Justin. <laughs> so uh, I think, yeah, um, yeah. I think you do need to know your animal, obviously, but one of the issues with ball pythons is that, notoriously they go on food strikes they are called the pet rock for a reason and with a lot of other species going off food and a lack of movement are two big things you'd look for as abnormal behavior if your animal was sick and you really don't have those indicators with ball pythons a lot of times especially with the rescue background i'm gonna pull that card again we get oh my animal is sick and we get it at the very end of the sickness because not a lot has changed outside of like weight loss, but they'll be like, oh, but it was on a feeding strike. And that happens with ball pythons, which it does, which is another negative. Um, and so I just think it isn't the most intuitive species to learn with because of those factors. And also one thing too is we should look at whether having an animal that is lower maintenance is the best introduction because is it going to teach complacency in your keeping or is it going to teach you to be on your toes more? All right, Kendra, you might need to come to my aid there. Come to my defense. She took a <laughs> swing at me. <laughs> I'm just an easy bystander. It was a good one too. I like yeah, that. Yeah. I know, right? Fair, fair, yeah. yeah. Um, oh man, how do I, how do I rebuttal that? Um, <laughs> I, I really don't have like a really strong argument for it other than, you know, with like the low maintenance that it does. I mean, I can see your point where you can, where someone can be complacent or get complacent, but if we're talking about a pet animal, a pet ball Python, I would assume, and I would hope that if it's a pet, people aren't getting complacent with that animal. They're treating it just like their dog or their cat, right? They're, they're handling it on a daily basis. They're paying attention to their animal, learning about their animal. And if they're willing to learn about their specific animal, then they're willing to learn about the species as a whole. Um, and learning about those food strikes, learning about, you know, the potential for stress, you know, learning the, the do's and don'ts with, with that species. Um, so that's all right. That's, that's all I got really on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's very, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I think you came to my aid very nicely. <laughs> all right. So, um, I guess let's, let's maybe discuss, uh, some of the aspects that, that maybe, and, and maybe I'll turn it back to you, Kendra, some of the aspects that make them a, a good first pet or what, what, uh, another, you know, point maybe you haven't brought up yet. 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's a couple I can think of off the top of my head. Um, mm-hmm. One being availability. Um, yeah. Because they are a commonly kept species, that means that demand is there, that means the market's there. Um, and with that market, you know, with ball pythons in particular, they come in a array of colored morphs. Um, and with that being said, they also come in an array of financial range. Um, so you can you can buy your normal or um, you can adopt your normal for, you know, 25, under 25 bucks. Or if that's something that you have a little more experience with and you're looking at breeding, potentially, you know, it, it ranges up to uh, well beyond ten thousand dollars so whatever you know however deep your pockets are there's there's an avenue for you um <laughs> uh i mean there's there's a couple other things you can think of like uh don was saying that they're they're kind of like this boring you know they don't move a lot whatever um i think that it makes them a great educational animal they're not going to be you know super jumpy or or bitey um you know especially if they're on kids that might be a little sensitive to you know that stigma and that fear of snakes something that's going to move quickly at them they're not they're going to be you know it's just going to hinder that ability to get over that fear right mm-hmm. um you know uh with i guess with that availability again is it comes to a lot of people have them already so there's a lot of people like i know at least like four other people within like three blocks of me that have a pet ball python mm-hmm. and they asked me all sorts of questions about them. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is how I care for them. This is, you know, um, so it's kind of, because there's so many people who have them, it, it makes a good education for, for kids in particular. Um, they are the future of, of herpetoculture and, and caring and, and educating those kids about these animals in general. Um, I think is really important. And if that does start with a ball python, I, I, I don't think it really matters what animal we start them with as long as it's something that they can learn from and they can, they can really enjoy. And I think ball pythons bring that to the table. All right. That's an excellent point. You got any uh, rebuttal for that, Dom? Yeah, Kendra's <laughs> making me sound like a real jerk over here. Oh. <laughs> I think one of the things you said, and um, this is one of the things that comes up most often when you talk about ball pythons being a good uh, first pet is the like that there's little to no financial barrier to get into ball pythons, um, which I think is a double-edged sword because yes, it does encourage people to get into the animals that we all love. And, you know, to buy an animal for $25 is like, hell yeah, $25 animal. And it's like, okay, but that's $25 Cobra food. Sometimes, you know, you're not necessarily getting, a high quality animal from the best person or from the best supplier. And then you can look at like the supply chain that goes in a big box stores and all that shit. So I won't go into that. But I think also one of the things that's brought up is, yeah, you can buy an animal from $25 to $10,000. It puts this idea of some sort of monetary return into getting into ball pythons um, that I think you really don't see with other species because ball pythons are really a species that you can feed as quickly and as fast as you possibly can, as much as you can, and they're breeding within the year. And that's not necessarily the best because we're not paying a lot of attention to the quality of animals that we're producing and the market is getting oversaturated. And the odds of you hitting that $10,000 animal with your $25 animal are next to none. You know, And I think having that mentality in people's heads that this is a money-making scheme can take a lot of what we've worked for as a hobby out from right from the beginning. So, Oh, go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was just going to say, it seems like that's, that's kind of how herpetoculture that, that has taken that turn over the last decade or more of, of kind of that 
pyramid scheme. And, and it really is kind of a detrimental thing, kind of saying, oh, I want to get into this to make money rather than I want to get into this because I really like this snake, you know? And, and I mean, obviously ball pythons are popular for a reason. Um, and you know, the, the different colors are fun and stuff, but again, you know, just kind of that warning, like don't equate animals with money. You know, the, yeah. the best way to become a millionaire in the reptile industry is to start with 2 million, right? That's <laughs> how it works out. But yeah, go ahead, Chuck. Yeah. So no, I think you guys are hitting on some really like touching some really good points here. And, and I think, you know, the mutations and the morphs around ball pythons are, are kind of what you're getting into. And I, I kind of have heard a little bit of the touch of both sides of that. I mean, I, I think, you know, people who uh, have a, a normal ball python that they buy cheaply and ends up throwing it away. And maybe they maybe that's because they become interested in that next thing or, or whatever. Um, maybe maybe touch a little bit on uh, if you have thoughts about the plus or minuses around uh, the morphs and mutations and, and some of those effects. Can I be positive for a second? Yeah. Cause sure. I do, I just want to say that I do think that is one of the most incredible things with ball pythons um, that if nothing else, it is such an incredible teaching tool for the rest of the hobby about how genetics work. Cause most people who are looking to breed even different species in the future are looking to ball pythons to understand like allelic compounds. I don't even know if that's a thing. That's a thing, right? Uh, like hets to learn all of that stuff. Um, and so I do think that's a huge positive but then on the counterpart of that is we're getting to the point in the hobby where I've had conversations with my ball python keeper friends, and I am a ball python keeper. I'm not going to hide that fact. Where <laughs> I, I was at Daytona earlier this year, and I had a conversation with a guy who told me he is no longer buying anything that has less than five heads. Oh my god! And in any other species, that is like snobby elitist thing. And say. I'm a I'm a green tree python keeper. I know snobby yeah. elitist in that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I just think that that touche. That's that's a big thing that we need to worry about. Is yeah, we are getting to the point where you're almost playing Doctor Frankenstein with these animals and paying little regard to potential complications down the line. You know, in the last year, we've seen like eyeless animals being sold for like large sums of money. We've seen all of these genetics come out that maybe have weird mutations or the duck bills or, you know, the wobble. And I don't want to speak poorly of anyone who's producing anything with spider, but like you say the word spider in a ball Python Facebook group and just all hell breaks loose. So I think because of the rate that we're moving with these uh, different morphs, while it is incredible, it may have a detriment down the line to the quality of animals that we're producing, especially at these incredible price tags. Kendra, you want to respond to that? Um, I, not in a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> um, to her point. But you I, have to. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, Just kidding. I like to her point, like a lot of different species, you know, like uh, carp pythons are a really great example. Um, we have genetic lineage of you know mom dad grandpa grandpa you know uh, you know on at both sides going for generations ball pythons mm -hmm. don't have that because i think to dom's point they've moved so quickly um and they're just so you know it, it is i don't want to say that <laughs> i'm trying to be positive but like it is one of the concerns i do have just as a ball python breeder in general is um we do move really quickly with the species in you know, we do have a lot of, of genetic defects that we haven't in 
in our own community we haven't really snuffed out. Um, we still have people trying to hit panda pieds, you know, the super black pastel, which is obviously going to cause duck billing and kinking and all sorts of things. We, you know, people still try to hit for that super spider, that all white snake that's dead out of the egg, you know, and I, I don't understand why we still do it when we know that there's going to be complications or issues or the potential of dead animals at the end of the day. Um, I don't know if it is kind of that elitist thing like, well, I did it, you know, because I could. And I don't like that. I don't think that as a community that, you know, we need to really snuff that stuff out I, in our own communities and in, within our local and, and beyond, because I don't think that's right. Um, but to kind of spin this into a positive, <laughs> so I, I know I'm going down a rabbit hole. Um, with, with all of that genetic lack of variance, I should say, um, because everyone's doing it, I think for new breeders getting into it, it is very overwhelming. And so I know when I was first, like I waited at least five, six years before I even attempted to breed because I was like, had the idea, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. This sounds like a good idea. But then I was just seeing so many other people doing it already. I was like, okay, well, that's great, but I'm not gonna be able to leave my mark if this is something I wanna do. So how do I do that? And so I took a really long time to really think about, okay, if this is a project I wanna get into, who else is doing that? And sourcing my animals from those particular breeders and trying to be thoughtful about, okay, if I get this animal from this person, you know, it's hep for this. If I get this animal that's, you know, um, that's recessive for this, I'm gonna pair them and, and, you know, like try to at least build a little bit of a lineage there and keep things separated and not buying like brother, sister animals or whatever. Um, for new, for new people who do want to get into this, it, it's super easy, you know, just buying a single gene codom or incomplete dominant animal and just being like, oh, look, I produced a bunch of pastels or cinnamons. And it's like, great, cool. Now that you've done that, what are you going to do with them? And mm -hmm. I think because it's so hard to get rid of kind of the quote unquote easy stuff, um, that is kind of pushing, I want to say it's pushing people away from breeding, but I know it's not, but I want to say it is, <laughs> but yeah, that might be a good thing if it's you know pushing people because I mean I think the the cost of these crazy morphs that were like you know twenty and thirty thousand dollar animals are now very affordable you know yes. a couple hundred bucks and you can get just about any really nice looking morph you want so mm -hmm. I, I'm hoping that will push more people out of like thinking about breeding them to recoup their investment because it was only a, you know, $200 or something rather than 20,000. And, and I understand, I mean, if you're spending $20,000 on a snake, you're definitely going to try to breed that snake. And, but if you're spending 200 and you just want a nice looking pet, Hey, that's great too. Yeah. I, I but I mean, don't you think that the market's kind of tiered a little bit? Like you, those people who are doing like, you know, five, five, uh, five trait mutations that they're, they're not in the same category anymore as that person doing, you know, single or double, uh, trait mutations. You know what I mean? That it's almost like the money that's involved and like how on top of it and how hard it is to get some of those like front front end, uh, you know, tip of the spear genetics that's going on is probably not the average for the average person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have our, you know, we have our pet keepers, we have our general keepers, we have, you know, our hobbyist breeders, and then we have like our breeders, you know, people who are doing this on a day-to-day -day, in and out, you know, this is their business. This is their lifestyle. They're producing as many animals as they can, uh, you know, to wholesale or whatever, to recoup funds, to go to shows, you know, sell out. Um, yeah. So you almost have multiple tiers, even in a ball Python market, which is oh, kind of interesting. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it depends on, and I don't know really where that, that line falls for a lot of them. I just know that like, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself at a top level breeder because this is, this is fun for me. And this isn't like, I care about every single animal that comes in and out of my, out of my home. I don't, this isn't a big moneymaker. It's just kind of a bonus if that makes sense. Yeah. Dom, you want to respond? Yes. I see you. Yeah, absolutely. There. I really want to respond to this one. No, please okay. don't apologize. I love hearing you talk. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think one of the big things that I've noticed specifically with us chatting and then also like talking about this topic in general is that um, my rhetoric and Kendra's rhetoric, we are almost apologetic for ball python keeping, <laughs> especially when we're in these different circles. And I think that's true to what you said um, Chuck, where it was like, there are these tiers of keepers and I only keep, I only keep animals that have three genes, which in any other species, if I said, yeah, I've got a three gene animal over there. I want to see it. They'd be like, fuck. Yeah. I want to, oh, heck yeah. Shoot. Heck yeah. <laughs> you're, that. you're good. Let it fly. I just feel bad. Oh my God. No, my don't. don't listen to this mom. Um, <laughs> she doesn't care. Okay. But I <laughs> like in any other species, if you had a three gene animal, like they'd be so excited to see it and you'd want to show that off in ball pythons. If you have a three gene animal, it's like, Oh yeah, I had that 10 years ago. What do you got now? Um, yeah. And I think that is a big deterrent is because you see these big names in the hobby and we put them on a pedestal and there's this like, like there's a absolute hierarchy and it's, hilarious because you see it you physically see it at shows you go to a show you know who the ball python people are you know who they're crowding around and you can't talk to that person and i think that that mentality within this side of the hobby can be really detrimental even to people who have been in it for a while like myself i have a ball python project kendra you have ball python projects i would put a lot of money on the fact that there are still people at shows you would not go up and introduce yourself to because you don't deem yourself worthy, which is effed up because you're worthy. And just, I love you. Bye. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes. You, you guys are definitely both worthy. And I think that the fact that there, there is an elitist, I mean, there's, there's a bit of an elitist every, you know, I, th- I think you know, Justin and I talk about how there's like circles for reptiles. And it's so funny that like maybe Justin and I are known a little bit in the carpet circle, but if you go outside of that circle, nobody knows who the fuck we are. Nobody, nobody. And I think it's a little that way. And it's, it's interesting to see how stratified ball pythons are in that, in that to me. Cause you know, I'm like carpets aren't that nearly that stratified. Right. So, and it's, you know, it, it's kind of silly when it gets to that point because you're like, whoa, is this high school all over again? Like the the rich kids or the cool kids or the 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 you know, the top ball python people are the best, like weird. Right. And I think one of those things too, specifically within ball python circles, or like let's look at green trees in general. Green tree pythons, that's what I started with. They are known as being a snobby part of the hobby. I'll I'll joke about it and everything. But if you get your first green tree and you're keeping it well, you are part of the group. You are invited to the like Facebook groups. You're invited to the dinners at Tinley. You are part of the group. If you went into like the biggest ball python group and you're like, hey, guys, look at this normal I just got off Craigslist, you're laughed at. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it is 
And I think that we can try to equate our small circles to ball pythons, but it's like looking at a pebble next to Mount Everest. Like it's just, they're not the same hobby at that point. It really is becoming like a totally separate hobby from that, that we participate in most. Do you feel yeah. like that, that disconnects that, that disconnects, you know, some of the ball Python or the, the, some of the upper echelon of the ball Python community from the rest of the reptile community, like that, that, that it kind of detracts from, from the community at large when it gets into situations like that. I think it can, because I think if you look at, you know, a U.S. ARC auction, and I love that people participate at U.S. ARC auctions, I think it's great, but who is throwing down $20,000 for, like, a random painting or for something small that doesn't really seem to have much value? It tends to be the ball python people who, it's it's a game. And this isn't, and once again, I don't want to shame any ball python people or act like I'm, like, I disagree with your tactics. It is just... It is, it's like me playing like a slot machine on my phone or at the church festival versus the high rollers in Vegas. Like I cannot get there. And I think a lot of people make it seem like, oh, you'll get there one day, just work hard, get those animals. It's just not realistic for the everyday keeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, you know, should it be, you know, I mean, I, I think there are enough, you know, really high quality ball python breed like i kind of got out of it and didn't pay attention for a while you know i i we, we were me and uh, ben morrill we were business partners and we were really into the ball python morphs and ben still he's producing some amazing stuff but i kind of got out of it once we split up the business and i didn't pay attention to ball morphs for a while and then like i saw i think it was Justin Kabilka put up some crazy looking ball python. I'm like, what is that? And so I got back and I'm like, I haven't heard of half these genes and I don't know where, you know, and now there's like just so many traits you get just flooded, you know, and, and you kind of have to be at that upper level just to keep track of everything that's going on because yeah. you step away for a day or two and all of a sudden you're behind the times. But I, I was once told by a, a pretty big uh, ball python breeder that it's people like me like hobbyist breeders that don't have huge that are ruining things for him and i'm like wait a second i'm the guy buying these overpriced you know pretty colored snakes from you how am i ruining it i'm making you money dude yeah. don't don't put that on me so you, you may just be a fun. second tier consumer of a morph but you're still a consumer yeah exactly <laughs> i mean we were putting we were putting out some pretty good money for ball morphs yeah. you know like back you know we bought a spider for like five grand or something for us that was a heck of a lot of money you know and and this was fairly early on in the spider uh realm so we were pretty excited to have that but you know it's it is what it is i guess but so kendra i'm not sure where this leaves you but if you want to retort please feel free <laughs> i mean i don't i mean I, the only like i guess the one thing i do want to like kind of give dom a shout out for it to your point like there there's a lot of like negativity with surrounding ball python keepers because of how many just kind of dipsticks there are in who are keeping and, and attempting to breed and and kind of flooding the market with with animals that aren't really desirable um with Dawn, like she's done a really great job with her group, um, the Female Herpers and Reptile Keepers page on Facebook, if anybody is interested. Um, and it's, it's you know, it, it's for females, because being a female in the hobby and, and trying to do ball pythons, it, it's good luck. Like there's just so much negativity out there with it. And her group has really helped a lot of females um, kind of like 
pursue that passion of, yeah, like you are new in the hobby. Yeah, like ball pythons might be something you're really interested in, but having like a sense of community and a sense of a community that isn't gonna like thrash you because, hey, look at my ball python I got off Craigslist, you know? They're gonna be excited for you and, and ask you questions and be like, hey, like your setup looks kind of uh, strange. Let's let's go ahead and make some changes or here's some suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just That's want to awesome. give a shout out to Dom because she's she's freaking absolutely amazing. And there is a lot of negativity out there. But, you know, the female herpers and reptile keepers group is is like the one light that I see with in the reptile community is as being a female in it as well. I think that's just one thing I wanted to point out today. And I think, you know, from Justin and I, I'll just say that, you know, we talk about the patriarchy issues around uh, the reptile community. And it's not something that gets talked about, but, you know, I've heard enough uh, comments and things that are said from men in the community. And I just think it's it's crap. If we're really talking about creating a, a you know, a diverse and, and inclusive community um, that you know, that patriarchy shit needs to stop. And so hats off for, you know, doing things that make inroads and build everybody up. Uh, cause we're, you know, we're not going to get there, um, oh, oh, you know, with one side or the other, or, you know, degrading one, one group or another. Um, so awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Chuck and I were talking the other uh, day trying to figure out like, you know, why don't I have more uh, friends that are women in the reptile industry. And, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a little more complicated than like, Oh, I just, I do, I only deal with men, you know, but like, I, I think my wife might get a little upset if I'm talking to a woman, you know, for lots of different phone calls over, you know, extended periods of time, she might start to wonder, Hey, what are you talking to this other girl for? You know? So it, it, it gets a little complicated in, in some respects. And I think that, you know, keeps, um, you know, people who aren't against women in the hobby from maybe reaching out or interacting like, you you know, I can't be one-on-one with some woman at a reptile show because that could, you know, that could be, uh, uh, maybe a negative aspect for, for my wife to consider. So, but I would just ask, you know, both, both Kendra and Dom, how, how many inappropriate interactions have men, you know, perpetuated yeah. upon them uh unsolicited and i guarantee the number is not a, a, like on one hand so mm-hmm. you know yeah. I, I i i i hear what you're saying justin and i agree there's probably some like like logical you know just kind of like and both of us are married and we're old and like i get like you know i get a lot of those reasons but the other stuff that's just inexcusable and f- frankly fucked up like yeah. i don't get that shit sure Okay, can I'm, I'll talk on this for one second yeah. because, like, this is Hope obviously <laughs> like this is truly my passion. Um, so I studied information systems in college, which is very male dominated. I work in the construction industry, which is very male dominated. Um, and the reason I started a lot of what I do with bringing women into the hobby and amplifying voices of women in the hobby is because I didn't want the hobby to be another place where I had to doubt myself every day because of my gender. Um, mm-hmm. And I just want to thank you, Kendra, for your incredibly kind words. That like means a lot. And it, in a selfish way, it is so nice to hear Justin and Chuck talk about this and like recognize behaviors, because I think one of the biggest things and one of the reasons that a lot of women weren't speaking out in the hobby is because I have received so much hate for what I am doing and for what I talk about. 
And I know that there are people who like will refuse to do business with me in the future who have said it to my face that they will refuse to do business with me because of what I do. And, um, it, I can't say it doesn't hurt. It hurts a lot. Uh, I, I've doubted myself almost every single day since I started making this like a big part of my platform, but it's the conversations and people telling me how much it means to them that like make it work. And then we make three steps forward. And then a guy at a reptile show, tells me if I suck his dick, I'll get a free snake. And it's like four steps back. And it's like, these are the things that happen behind doors and they're not happening on podcasts. They're not happening in the Facebook groups necessarily that like are difficult for women to talk about because it's embarrassing. It, it makes you think like, is there something that I did that gave him the impression that that was okay to say, or that was okay to do. And so I think that we have to like, we have to forge relationships with men and women in the hobby. Um, and, Like, I do understand the whole, like, my wife might not want me talking to this other girl, but, like, treat it in the way of, like, I'll be friends with your wife. (laughs) Like, I don't care. I don't care. And this is going to sound horrible. I don't care about you outside your animals. Like, that is why we're Mm -hmm. friends. And I think an excellent example of that, I am such a strong proponent of Anthony and Shannon Pierleone's podcast, Turtly Devoted, which they started as a turtle relationship podcast. Anthony is totally into Mm -hmm. turtles, like more than anyone I've ever met. Shannon doesn't really have any interest in them. And I met Anthony through Facebook and he was like messaging me. And on their podcast, I heard Shannon go, who the fuck is that Dominique girl you're talking to talking to? (laughs) And Shannon is now one of my best friends because I spoke with her and I was like, Hey, like, I just want to let you know, like, I'm I like his turtles, you know? And, and I think that maybe that's a thing of like, bring your wives into the hobby. If you're, if you have like a wife or a girlfriend or a partner, who's maybe not into it, but they want to learn more, add them to our Facebook group, the female herpers, reptile keepers group. It is, we have so many people in that group who don't even keep animals, but they just want to learn. It's like a great way to do it. And I think that having these conversations, having people who are, important and make like change makers in the hobby like justin and chucky both are like open up about these conversations so it's not me or kendra or another woman constantly like pushing it because i know that can be a deterrent is so important and it's uncomfortable but it should be until it's not because i hope that in 15 years if i'm married and i have kids and my daughter says hey i want a ball python i know that she can get a ball python she can join that facebook group she can join that VR, whatever the fuck's going to be in 15 years, and she's going to be accepted, welcomed, and enthusiastic outside of her gender. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Justin and I both have wives, but we both have daughters as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, none of this is lost on me. And if I have to have an, a conversation with my wife, like, whoa, 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 don't get this twisted. Like, listen, here's what's going on. You know, you know how things are. And, and I'm friends with Dominique because she's down to, you know, bring women into the hobby and we're, we're, we're trying to build something positive here. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to advocate. My wife would be like, Done. We're good there. Yeah, absolutely. I support that. So, and I think, I think most women uh, today who, you know, have to deal with a lot of the bullshit that they have to deal with, understand that. And you know what, Uh, honestly, and I'll just say it, like, if there's guys out there who can't deal with that, fuck them, fuck them. Who cares? Fuck them. Yeah. My, like I was uh, talking to you guys before my daughter's really excited about reptiles and she's kind of just getting into it. I, I hear up there, like start like re- 
recording a podcast on her phone, you know, like she's 12, you know, it's really cute. She's really jealous of Chuck and wants to be, you know, co-host here, but she, I keep telling her, I'm sorry, you know, we got to figure out a way. But, um, I, I love the idea of her having a place in the hobby and not having to go through the garbage, you know, if she can avoid those, those jerks out there. And, and I'm, I'll, uh, I'll kind of bring out, uh, Eric, Burke, uh, the pod father as a, as a good example of that I've heard him, um, defend women in the hobby, you know, and there's, there's, we had some pretty in-depth conversations on a herp trip a while back. Um, and there was some discussion of, you know, women using their femininity to, to get free snakes or things like that. And it's like, well, you know, they, and there's a lot of, I guess, preconceived ideas of, of how women are in herpeticulture. And I'm like, that's just garbage guys. I'm sorry. That's, you know, and we, we, and Eric and I both kind of shut this conversation down in regards to that. So, um, I think things are moving forward in a good way. And I, I, I just love, you know, what you guys are doing. So that's awesome. Way to go, Dom. Yeah. Keep it up. <laughs> and we will try to support as any way we can. So, yeah, can I just, I'll just add one more thing. I think like the biggest thing you guys can do, and I was having this conversation with Travis Wyman um, a couple weeks ago, is um, I try really hard when people ask me for recommendations of like breeders to go to or recommendations of people to talk to on their podcasts. For every guy, I give one woman or I give two women because we have to work twice as hard sometimes. So let me give that push to another woman in the hobby. So for example, someone was asking me ball python breeders to go with the other day. And I was like, Matt Burton, he's one of my best friends. He's incredible. KMB reptiles, but then Kendra Westy as well. Kendra is incredible. She's got great animals. Talk to her too. And talk to both of them, different things, but, but just those little things of getting in the habit of uplifting women and uplifting like other marginalized groups within the hobby to get their face out there and to make it more normalized. Um, it's hard at first. It's awkward. You kind of have to like retrain yourself to do it, but that's what in the long run is going to help us all as a community. And also selfishly as a community, we can be looked at as an extremely patriarchal hobby. You know, there's a lot of people who look at us and like, like, Oh God, all those, like, all those guys with the big muscles flex in with their retic. And you know, that's, that's the, the outside perspective of the hobby too. And if we start to show ourselves as this inclusive hobby and this hobby, that's about uplifting people and building community that looks better when we're trying to fight for our rights to keep the animals that we have. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you see that mochismo in like the venomous community and the large constrictor community. I mean, you can see it and it's not, it's not hard to recognize when you see it. And when you see it, you're kind of like, Oh, Ooh, like it doesn't look good when you see it, you know, and I could only imagine somebody who isn't spooled up on snakes, isn't into reptiles, what they see. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm taken back to uh, when I listened to Jeff and Kendra on the Morelia Pythons radio podcast. And when they asked Jeff how he got into it and he's like, Kendra got me into it, you know, and it's like, why are you talking to Jeff first when it was Kendra that was the one who kind of started this whole thing? So I, you know, it's kind of, it's just almost like an ingrained behavior for a lot of people. And, it and I think, and I think checking your unconscious bias is something that people need to do. You know, I mean, it, it's look, everybody has biases. It is a, it's just, it, 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 it's, it's a part of being a human being, but checking those biases, that's what people need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, and I think I've mentioned this before, like at shows and stuff, you know, people come at the table, they'll ask me like, oh, is, can I talk to Jeff? 
I'm like, about what? These are my animals. What do you want to know? <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of check them a little bit. And they're like, Oh, sorry. Like, like, it's okay. It happens. But you know, just be mindful of those sorts of things. Anytime I go to a show and there's, there's a female behind the table, I'm going to ask her questions before I'm going to ask the guy, just as like a common courtesy, just to kind of get people in the habit of doing it. Um, you know, and I've talked about this to Dom, like we do kind of have, being a female, we do kind of have that advantage because we are more approachable um, behind the table, um, which is really great, especially with kids. Um, you know, kids are more likely to, to come and talk to me than they are Jeff, you know, his big scary mustache. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the kids are the future of the hobby. If we want to get kids yeah. interested, that's that's a great way to do it. Um, but like to do everything that we've been talking about, I think, you know, with especially because the ball python community is just so large. You know, there are just so many people in it. Um, I think we are moving in the right step by calling out, you know, perpetrators who are, you know, or who are kind of abusing their power um, or people who are just being kind of creeps in the hobby. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I want to like thank those people and to continue to have the courage to call them out because we need to snuff that out. We need to get rid of this negativity in our community. And I see it every single day still. And I don't know if we'll ever get to that point where, you know, we can be all inclusive. But if, if we can get one more person out of the community, if we can call out one more person who's being a creep, who's being a jerk to somebody who just has a general question about an animal, I think that's a good day. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we just need to continue working towards that. And I, I really want to encourage people to do that. Um, and if, you know, if they don't, you don't always have to agree with everything that someone says. Right. Yeah. But you know, being able to learn to, to be with each other and, and to and to hear people's thoughts and, and their experiences, I think is a really big thing. Everybody is kind of, I, I've mentioned this before, is kind of a regurgitating Richard. Everyone's just like, oh, well, somebody so told me this is how you're supposed to do it. You're not doing it right because so-and-so told me. Okay, that's great. But have you done that? Do you know if that's factual? Do you know if, if that is what really works for your animal? And you see that so much in the ball python community. It just drives me nuts. And I don't know why or how we've gotten kind of down that path where people are just willing to spill information without fact-checking. I mean, that's kind of our society currently. But, like, <laughs> I, think, I think that's a human thing. I mean, I work in the aviation industry, and 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 you would not believe it. it we call it tribal knowledge. It's it's just mm. – and we're – I think as humans, we're tribal people. Like, we, we, we are into our associations and our affiliations and, and, and you know, that knowledge, it just gets passed. And, 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 you know, somebody finds something that works, but it's wrong, and they just keep perpetuating it. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it, it, it almost snowballs and, and then trying to get it undone becomes like this ridiculous thing. And it, it's, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I deal with this in, in, in enough sectors of my life that I'm just like, no, that's people. That's all that is, is people. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. And I just, I really hope that people like kind of see through the BS at the end of the day and, yeah. and they, they try to learn for themselves and not just do whoever, you know, if so-and-so says this versus like trying and experimenting things, especially with like ball pythons, because, you know, as we've discussed, they are a little bit more forgiving. If that animal, it goes on a food strike, well, have you tried, you know, changing the substrate? Have you tried blocking out the, if it's in a glass container, have you tried blocking it out? Have you tried it in the tub system? And there's so many other things that we could do to try to get things to be quote unquote perfect for that animal. And people just aren't willing to do it. And I don't get it. Um, I, I would be more more than willing to try a hundred different things if it got an animal to eat if it wasn't eating versus just saying, oh, it's just a food strike. I'm just going to let it do its thing and wait till it gets hungry enough. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I just, I hope our community changes. I really do. Cause I really like, you know, there's a lot of great people. There's a lot of great people I've met like Dom, like you guys, you know, like Jeff that there's, there's diamonds in the rough. We just got to find them and we gotta, we gotta shout them from the rooftops. And I really hope that we can do that in the future. And, Definitely. That's why we're so excited you guys were coming on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> our, our, our opportunity to get to know different keepers and to get to know different philosophies and, and hear, you know, different sides of the coin. It's, it's the, the best way to do it. So I, I mean, this is just, I think this is a great platform for perspective, different perspectives, you know, pers- perspective of really experienced people. You know, we did very inexperienced people from the super show and that was even eye opening for us to hear you know, people who maybe that was their first snake. And it's like, you know, you get so far into it and, and like the way that they were talking and thinking, I, I don't think that way. And it, to, to get to that perspective is so important, but it, because we're all caught up in where we are and, and, and those things that happen in our circles, we miss those probably more important, uh, things that we need to think through. So yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for coming on. This has been awesome. In, on yeah. a, a bunch of levels. Yeah. So I want to give you guys the opportunity to kind of have some final thoughts, uh, summarize whatever you want to do. And um, let's have you go first, Don. Okay. Well, I know I sounded super negative throughout this whole thing. Um, but I think the biggest <laughs> takeaway I want to, to give people is, is to recognize that with any animal you're getting this learning curve, um, whether you're an experienced keeper or a new keeper. And that the most important thing, especially when getting ball pythons, is that you have ample education and support beforehand. Um, and look for those good people. Look for the people like Kendra and Jeff. Look for the people who are there to support you, even if it's not an animal you purchased from them. And then put pride aside and let yourself take care of your animal outside of, like, what you should be worried about. You know, like, recognizing it's time to ask for help. Don't worry about how people are going to, you know, perceive you. And, uh, you know, and I think that's how you can be successful with keeping a difficult first pet, like a ball python. Awesome. Kendra? Yeah, no, to that, you know, be prepared to be passionate. Um, if this is it, these animals aren't something that, you know, is going to pass away in five years. They live 30 to 40 years. So if you don't have a passion for the animal, if you don't care for that animal, if you don't have the education, um, definitely try to educate yourself before, you know, getting this animal. Don't don't impulse buy. I know it happens, but try not to. At least have some base knowledge before you try to, you know, pick up an animal on the next show. Um, you know, and, and there's always something to, new to learn and be open to that. And I think that's a big thing, especially now with a lot of people who are doing like bioactives and and trying different things in their enclosure with these animals, new experiences for them and uh, be open to it. You know, just because your ideology doesn't fit with theirs doesn't mean it's not wrong or right, but it, it's your willingness to try and, and, and to better the life for that animal. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's a life. It's not just something we can throw away. Um, yeah. Preparedness and, and passion, I think, is a really big one for me. Perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, we we really appreciate you guys being on and your wonderful viewpoints and the fun uh, jabs you guys had with each other. So <laughs> very entertaining. Thank you, guys. Um, let's uh, have you put your information out there in case people want to get a hold of you. Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, so uh, Puget Sound Pythons, uh, like 
the body of water in here, Washington. Um, <laughs> a lot of people say uh, Pudget, it's Puget, but yeah. Uh, so we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, TikTok, we're on all wall. Uh, just look for our logo, Jeff and, right. Jeff and Kendra. Cool. All right. Awesome. And thanks guys for having us on. We really appreciate it. Um, you can follow me at DeFalco reptiles on Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you're interested in listening to the modern Medusa podcast, where we only talk to female keepers, um, that's also on Facebook and Instagram. And then anywhere you get your podcasts, I did an awesome interview with Kendra really recommend, uh, to hear more about her story and where she got started. Um, and then if you are a female or non-binary identifying keeper or just, someone interested please take a look at the female herpers and reptile keepers group thank you guys again we sure appreciate you coming on and and uh, enjoyed the lively conversation so we'll uh we'll uh um hopefully have have another chance to have you guys on again this was a lot of fun mm-hmm. all right well yeah no problem our pleasure <laughs> yeah well chuck uh Good stuff here. Yeah, this was a this was a really fun conversation. And um, again, I mean this this was a, a an instance of um, these guys had a, had a topic they wanted to cover, and they brought it up, and we said, "Heck yeah, that sounds wonderful!" So let's yeah. have you on. So um, we welcome any and all uh, topics and and fighters. So come on and bring your topics with you, and we we'd love to have you. So uh, we uh, thank you for listening and. Uh, this has been another Reptile Fight Club, and we'll, we'll uh, have another one for you next week. So, Dominic yeah. and Kendra are out. <laughs> Fight Club.